is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it's a Thursday, the Jay and Keith podcast, but a little twist today. No Keith. We're going to minus a Keith and add a Trey. We'll talk about that in just a second. We will recap last night's ETSU men's basketball game win over Wofford. We're going to hear from a couple of guys. We're going to replay the interview with Karan Boyd. And also in attendance last night was the all-time leading scorer in ETSU basketball history, Tim Smith. We caught up with him post-game as well. So we'll listen to Tim, and especially Karan. I thought Karan had some good things to say about defensively and specifically what it was like for him to sit out uh, those games and kind of what he watched and learned and was able to go. So we'll talk a lot of hoops. We'll also preview, and uh, we'll give Keith a call a little bit later on. We'll get him on here to preview the women's game tonight at Mercer. Also maybe talk a little bit about Sanford on the big road swing for head coach Brenda Mock Brown. But before we do all that, we're going to talk a little ETSU football. So it's the Dre, the, the Dre, I, I don't, neither one of us are Dre. It's the Jay and Trey show. Uh, I think I somehow tried to combine a Jay and Trey, but, you know, there's a whole segment called Jay Knows English Language, which isn't good. But Coach Lamb is here, and, Coach, we appreciate you taking the time. And, obviously, a massive day uh, kind of culminating with the new December signing period and then yesterday the more traditional signing period for you. Yeah, it was awesome. You know, the last two months uh, came to fruition yesterday. Finally got to announce all these guys and um, had a lot of early enrollees for, from high school, two or three there, and then, 20 transfers enrolled, transfers enrolled in January, too. So it's been a, a very busy two months for us, and, and uh, yesterday was huge. So I don't even know where to start. I think you've said 49 uh, uh, guys that are not just here but on scholarship. But I know turning over rosters is something when you're a coach that um, happens everywhere, and you've been on different staffs or stuff. Have you been a part ever of any staff, player, coach, assistant, now head coach, where you've had about 50 new guys? No, I mean I, – 30, 35 is about the most I've ever experienced in my short 10-year career. But um, at this level, you know, you can you can break them up. You can partial guys. You can get the most bang for your buck, which, you know, the number one job I have is being the GM. You know, this is the only level of football where you get to pick your groceries. You know, at the NFL level, um, the GM decides who's on the team. The head coach coaches it. And in high school, you know, you got whoever lives in your county and um, or your city. But, but at college level you can pick your players and um, you know it's a personnel driven game and we have to be very cognizant about who we bring in this program that's like you dropped a Bill Parcells on me right there um, let's talk about philosophy wise because I will get into some some football X's and a little bit later but recruiting because this isn't your first go around obviously as an assistant you kind of pick up stuff and you're kind of at the I don't want to say the mercy but you're doing the will of whatever the head coach at the time would like you to do then you become your own head coach and uh, now, kind of your second stops, you've clearly learned some things. Talk about your philosophy and building a roster, and not so much with Portal, we'll maybe touch on a second, but just going out and recruiting the high school kids and, and looking at how to, to build um, your culture and get all the pieces you need to be successful. Yeah, you know, I like, I love recruiting high school players. I think there's a little bit more uh, genuineness when you can go sit in a kid's living room. He's 18 years old. You got a chance to mold the kid for four years. Hopefully, hold on to him um, and graduate him, which is which is huge. But you know.
know, some things we look for, you know, I, I, lo- I love to see how the guy treats his mom, how he treats his parents, um, what kind of character does he have. A lot of times I'll go to the school janitor or, or his homeroom teacher who has no skin in the game and just say, hey, what's this kid really like um, when he's not into football, when he's not around the head coach? What, what's his real character like? You know, you got to ask those kind of questions. Uh, we don't just go down the road throw any scholarships out the window, so we're very intentional about who we recruit. And, um, you know, we want to put a big emphasis on speed in this class and, and length. You know, I know every coach says that, but, like, you have to get real track times. You have to get real 40 times. You have to see the, the speed translate on tape. Uh, but I've never ha- had the, the beauty or, or, or the gift to be able to sign this many kids. Um, luckily, when I was evaluating this job and a couple others, I, I saw the roster. There was only like 38, 40 guys with scholarships. I knew there was going to be an opportunity to bring in a huge class of my guys. Um, now, the hard part, obviously, is having to merge these two rosters. But um, I'm excited about it, man. Like, like what we're looking for is high-character kids and guys that love football. You get those two things and get some guys that can run um, and some length, and you're going to have a chance to win a lot of football games. Now, the, the portal a little bit different, and it's, it's changing every day in the rules and the NIL dive maybe too much into that part of it today, but just kind of the portal and some of it I know is relationships I mean because there's obviously there's probably kids at Gardner-Webb you talk to that chose other schools that it didn't quite work out one way or another so you can build there but just talk about kind of the, the portal and how to recruit that and, and, and what's difficult to, to target position wise and, and what's there a plethora of? Yeah, you know, the portal's great I think you have to use it you know, as bad as you know, some of us hate it as coaches, and as bad as the fans hate it, it's here, and it's going to stay here for a while. The players got all the power right now, and uh, we're going to use it, and we're going to be very intentional about using it. We have a pre-portal list every single day that we go over with our player personnel department and recruiting staff and our staff, and we're ready at each position. If this guy leaves, hey, we got to bring somebody else in. Um, corners are really hard to find in there. Tackles, offensive tackles are hard to find. Pass rushers are hard to find. You can find a million receivers, a good running back, a, a plethora of linebackers. Safeties are not very difficult to find. Um, D linemen are always, you know, especially edge guys are hard to find because there's not that many of them. And then big, long tackles are, are hard to find. Quarterbacks, um, they're going to transfer, right? There's only one football. I'm always going to keep full on scholarship. If a guy leaves, I bring another one in. Um, which is fine. It, it, it's you know, like I said, it's just like a one-year contract. But um, it, it, it's that, that's kind of where we're at with the portal. Um, I want to make sure we sign high school tackles, high school corners, high school pass rushers, high school quarterbacks, because those are the ones that are tough to find. I think uh, clearly when you look at ETSU and, and what some issues were last year, I think the line and some of it was just the fact of some. Some I mean, three guys left within two years that could have all played last year for ETSU um, that went FBS and the year before that had a guy go to the SEC and Trayvon Shorts at LSU. So even if linemen, and that's what's kind of crazy, if linemen are starters at FCS, maybe not even All-Americans. I mean, the Trayvon Short was, but the other guys were, were starters and were good players and maybe even second team. So those guys are getting still plucked and, and taken away. So finding kind of linemen and continuity is certainly uh, an issue there. And I think one thing that's more difficult, and when Keith first moved back down and Keith was in Fargo at North Coast State six years, which I'm sure he's told you that nauseum a lot. And the one thing I tried to explain to him was offensive line, I think, is the toughest, especially in the south, because you can throw a dart on a map 
draw a circle of 300 miles, and there's like 12 schools, FCS, FBS, all kinds of stuff where you throw one in the Dakotas, and yes, there might be North Dakota and South Dakota states near each other or North Dakota, but you go 300 miles, there's four schools. And you can find a URA set up. 510 speed guys are kind of everywhere. They grow on trees, right? But the 6'5", 280, 300-pounders, those are going to be the most difficult to sign. And they might be 6'5", 300 pounds, but they also got to be somewhat athletic, right? They can't yeah. just be 6'5", 300. So how difficult is that position? Even high school, I mean, just in general, how tough is it? I specifically think it's the toughest around our area because you look at all the leagues and conferences and even starting the big boy SEC – they're going to get the cream of the crop, and then the ACC is going to be nipping on the heels. And then you start going down Sun Belt Conference. I mean, you just start chopping down. How tough is it to, to try to identify those guys? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to evaluate that position, and you got to take them. Like, if you're going to miss, miss big and long. You know, if you take four, I think we took four high school tackles this year. If two of those work out, great. You know, if two don't, they can transfer down, which is you always got that transfer report on your back pocket now as the head coach. Um, so that that is the absolute hardest position to find and get and keep. That's what scares the death out of me. I mean, we signed a six seven kid when I was at Gardner Webb, started as a redshirt freshman, gone FBS. You know, it's just. Um, and the other frustrating thing is they're signing these kids to be backups. You know, they're they're not necessarily signing them to be starters. I, I have I like to put a big premium on. Um, I don't love taking the drop down guys that haven't played. And, and the difference of level of football between us and App State and Western Kentucky and Kentucky and, um, I don't know, you take an ACC school, Georgia Tech, is not that big a difference. There's there's 15 guys on our, our roster that can play anywhere in the country. Um, but it's the depth that you're trying to build. I like taking the D2 guys, the D2 All-Americans, uh, the NAIA All-Americans that have the height, weight, and foot speed, the FCS transfers who have played and been productive. The drop-down guys that have never played scare the crap out of me. Just because if they can't play at that level, there's a really good chance they're not going to be a starter at your level. Um, but tackles, man, tackles are hard to find because there's not that many big people going in and out. We're talking with uh, Trey Lamb, head football coach here at ETSU, and signing day just wrapped up. And there are plenty of quotes you can go find. There's interviews. They've got to post everywhere you can find all that. We're deep diving in uh, some other things instead of maybe just the roster. Now, once we get into spring practice a little later on, you've got a little better feel. Oh, here's a good question. Um, do you know everybody on the roster yet, or are you going to have to put the little white tape and the names on? Oh, we'll definitely. Because I need that. Yeah, we'll definitely use the white tape. But right now we got everybody in jerseys, and i got a roster in my pocket during workouts, so I can I can see and, and know who's who. Um, I've got a pretty good idea. I, I'm learning nicknames. You know, everybody's got a nickname, and, and trying to learn those. Right now I'm just calling everybody by their last name um, and trying to develop a relationship with the guys. You know, we're doing a team dinner tonight where each coach is taking a guy out position we got to eat or have him at his house. Um, and we're going to try to just be intentional about team building. We had a lot of competition this morning at 6 a.m. Had a, had a fun relay. Had to play some basketball, uh, dodgeball. But, but we're working these guys hard and, and we're also um, trying to build these relationships. The reason we were successful at Gardner-Webb and the reason that, I mean, we had so many kids not transfer out is because relationships didn't matter. Yeah, the bottom line, the dollar, everybody's worried about the dollar figure in IL, but at the end of the day, relationships still matter, and um, I think our staff does a really good job with that. Let's talk a little bit about um, a little bit of X's and O's in, in the playbook. Obviously, you called plays and, and ran the show you wanted to at Gardner-Webb. Um, 
is it going to be an exact same playbook? Do you Are you one of those, because when I talked to Randy Sanders when he got here, the style that he was playing compared to what Michael Kane was doing with Carl Torvalds was way different. And I asked him, is he going to like slow it in, do whatever? And he was like, no, strength of the fire hose. This is what we're going to be. This is who we're going to be. The quicker we figure it out, and then we're going to be growing pains. And then, you know, year one, I think he hit the, the perfect stride. We had fifth and sixth year guys that had gone through things that nobody else had gone through. They stuck the thing. And so I think they went just out of will more than they knew the play. I used to talk to Austin Herrick and, he said occasionally Randy would send in a play, and he'd be like, what, what? <laughs> just have, and all right, guys, we're going to run this. And just have, and the guys just made it execute. And then year four, they're fooling doing things where I think he, he told me a couple games in Furman uh, in particular, there were plays they haven't ran in three or four weeks. They were game specific to another game. And he asked, hey, guys, do you remember that? And he said, yeah, and they ran them. He said, now we're bought in. We understand everything and all that. That being said, it was long-winded to get to this. Do you – believe more of the Randy Sanders, this is going to be who we are, this is what we're running, or is it more I would like to do this, but after I see personnel, we, we may tweak a few things. Yeah, I don't know what we have right now. i, I got to be able to look at spring practices. It was, it was huge to get all these guys in the building. I said last night, those guys, I think I was the second or third Division One head coach hired in this cycle. Um, so I was hired before, I had the staff hired It's a running league. Everybody runs the ball except for really Sam. Us and Sam will be the teams that are more pass heavy. Um, and I think anytime you're doing opposite of what everybody else is doing in the league, it, it gives you an advantage on Saturdays because they're going to come through and just going to get after it. Um, but I have a system. We have a system. We're, we're actually talking through that right now as a staff. Um, but we've got to figure out what we're good at and what our personnel is good at. Um, Randy was a great play caller. You know, I was able to kind of watch him from afar and see what he's done over. defensive side of the ball and certainly you know you got two guys back you're talking about you know guys are bought in and, and you know two guys are concerned about legacy and that's the two safeties and Chris Oakshell and Arnold and those guys I think will obviously be key pieces but they're going to be on a little bit of a learning curve too on the defensive side how do you envision the defense um, kind of complementing what you want on the offensive end and how do you project this defense to hope well we're, we're going to be aggressive you know I think we were top ten in the country in the last two years at Garden Grove and takeaways. I know we were third in 2022, um, which leads to wins. And we, we took the football and we turned it over a lot, which I 
Conference this year with Coach Russ. But, um, you know, our last two years won two championships with Virginia Tech. Yeah, his defense is hyper aggressive. They play very hard. Um, they, they don't really have the big run break strategy. They're going to take chances through the lanes with great turnovers. Um, they've got to protect our perimeter, protect our safeties, protect our double backs. But uh, they always give us those one guys that can come through and get after us to pass our way. system, you can tell he's built the roster for that three-year system. So we're trying to find a few more D-line, a few more cover guys. But there's some there's some pieces there. I like the linebackers. I like the safeties. Um, I think there's some young defensive tackles that are good. we got to get those edge guys that can, that can really go ahead and, and change the game. All right, let's talk about spring practice. When does that crank up? And, uh, you know, without diving into too much, how do you like to – what do you like to accomplish in those 15 days of practice, especially – Maybe that's a little different this year than, you know, returning what you were last year off the championship team trying to win, you know, another championship. What is it you're expecting or what are you hoping to get out of these 15 days of practice leading up to the spring game? Yeah, we're, we're you know, obviously evaluating our personnel is number one. What do we have? What do we need to go get after spring? You know, because there's another portal window after spring practice. Uh, we start March 18th, another spring game, Friday night, April 19th. Love to have a huge crowd there. We're going to have a lot of recruits on campus. We're going to do a coaches clinic with schools. Um, try to get them up here Friday morning so they can get out of school and take a, take a sick day and come, come learn some ball. Um, and then we'll bounce ideas off them and, and, and see what they know. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to collaborate there. So that, that's exciting. Uh, but we'll tackle more this spring than I've ever have. Uh, I think the first one, you got to tackle uh, just to see who can tackle. I mean, the game comes down to blocking. shots, but, um, you know, football, we have to figure out who can make people miss. We'll tackle five to six times, which is rare. Then we'll be able to tackle three. Um, so we'll go live quite a bit. We'll have three full scrimmages with officials. Um, but I just want to play the ball. You know, we, we're going to teach our systems, um, figure out what our personnel is, and then this summer we're going to concentrate more on situational football in the game, in the half, you know, the middle eight, the last four minutes before halftime, first four minutes out of the half, uh, down in distance. But we're going to put the ball down and freaking play for 15 days um, during spring practice and see who's about that life. So we've had a lot about football. There's more in football going on here, right? You packed up, you moved your family. This is a new home for you. What's it been like in the Tri-Cities? What's your favorite thing about it so far? Well, I, the fan base is crazy, man. They, like, they love ball. They, they love to win, and they love the school. This is the fourth institution I've worked at, and it's, it's different than any place I've ever been from that perspective. But it's pressure. Pressure's a privilege. Um, you're in the spotlight. Um, I can call you and laugh and, and take on the duties that you every single week, which is rare for this level. Um, you know, we, we take recruits out to eat. Someone comes over, says, hey, coach, how you doing? 
has been awesome. It's a great place to live, great schools. It's a very safe community. Uh, it's about the perfect size. You know, there's enough to do. The restaurants are incredible. There's a ton of places to eat. I've tried 90% of them as I was up here for three weeks without my family and, and just ate out every night and gained about 15 pounds. But Just the people, man. The people, the city, um, the Tri Cities area. You know, one of three youth boards that I was part of sitting in that community. And I've traveled south, so I've, I've seen a lot of a lot of the area. And what what more could you want? There's there's everything you need um, within ten miles of my house, which, which is awesome. Coach, we appreciate the time. Uh, we'll let you get a little bit of the spring ball. We'll probably catch back up with you. We'll also uh, try to catch up. And we did this. Um, last couple times of turnover staff and forth has been more than we would prefer, but uh, we turn staff, we've, we've had all the, the coaches on just to try to introduce them and get them kind of, kind of you know, ingratiated to the, the Buck Nation, and that's one thing. Talk about the fan base. They, they, they were, last night, you know, you were there speaking um, at the Courtside Club and was able to talk about that, and had three fans come and say, hey, on the podcast, you're going to have all the coaches on. Yes, yes, we, we usually let them get through recruiting and some other things. You know, it's, it's kind of a busy time, but you know, we look forward to kind of meeting those guys, and then as we get uh, into the summer, into the fall, we'll start bringing in some of the some of the players and, and getting those guys out. Because again, like a lot of things, there's a lot of new names and faces for the staff, uh, for our fans to know, and clearly, and all the new names and faces for the players. But there's one thing clearly, as you saw last night, the folks are energized and ready for the football season. Yeah, we got a lot, a lot of momentum right now. We got to capitalize off that. This next two months are important, but um, it's a joy coming to work, man. This this building's. Uh, full of energy right now, and, and everything's moving in a, in a very positive direction, so I can't thank the, the people here enough for, for making me feel like home. Season tickets, renew those. I don't think they're officially out, but I'll, I'll give you a secret. Go to tissuetickets.com and get them right now. You can renew your tickets right now, and I've already talked to two people who did not have tickets that have already bought season tickets, so get those tickets now. ETSUtickets.com. You can call the ticket office 439-3878. That's 439-ETSU. If you forget anything, it's etsu three eight. Seven, eight. Head coach Trey Lamb, stop by. Coach, appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. All right, that was the head football coach, Trey Lamb, joining us on the old podcast. Saw him walking down the hallway and said, you know, I've been threatening to have you on there, but I want to ask him all the, some of the questions. You know, ah, tell us about all the quarterbacks and all the this and other. Those answers are out there. Try to dive into a few other things maybe the fans would want to hear about. That was segment one. I think clearly segment two, we are transitioning to men's basketball. What was a win last night? Another defensive uh, juggernaut performance by ETSU. And I thought, again, tremendous effort on the defensive end. Held Wofford at just 50 points, one of the lowest outputs in the league. What well, is the lowest output of the league this year? And for the Bucks, two of the last three games, they've held Mercer to 49. They held the Citadel to 60 and now 50 for Wofford. I mean, that felt like uh, an old-school kind of ETSU-Wofford game. Now, it didn't feel maybe as high level as some of those other contests had been because both teams had some chances but didn't quite hit shots. But it was a struggle, and I think it was a struggle because ETSU was able to do things defensively. And we talk about Karan Boyd, and I think just – what he's been able to do and what he means to the team. And it was hard when we talked about it when he was out to quantify. And I think people kind of scoffed a little when, when me or Keith would say, hey, this is kind 
of the key piece. He's back. You know, they're going to look a little different. And he added free throws and was able to get the 14 points. This is his third double-figure performance. Eight rebounds, three assists, three steals. Did have three turnovers, but, man, he worked so hard on the defensive end. 15 points for Jaden Seymour. Had a rough start to the game. I think it was one for his first eight. Finished four for 14, five of five from the line. And then Jaden Parker, I thought, was tremendous. Five points, seven rebounds, five block shots. And I thought he did a great job on Kyler Filowich, who was 0 for 3. All three of his shots were blocked, two by Jaden Parker, one by DJ Hughes. At one point, he got pinned uh, in between the rim and the backboard. It led to a jump ball situation. But Corey Tripp, the only man in double figures for the Terriers, who just went 6 of 22 from three. Bucks held them to 27% from beyond the arc, just 35% shooting. Bucks dominated on the glass again. 18 offensive rebounds. So that's five games, I think, now with 13 or more. Four of those games, 15 or more. So, again, 18 rebounds because the Bucks don't particularly shoot it great, but live ball misses. ETSU got 50% of the live ball misses for another opportunity. And so if you're not shooting the ball well, that's a great way to get points up on the board. 18 second-chance points. Again, 18 points at the free-throw line. Bucks made more free-throws than Wofford attempted, and certainly we'll see what Tom Conrad's staff and certainly ETSU rolling right now. Three wins in a row for the last five. They'll welcome the Furman Paladins into Freedom Hall, a 6 p.m. special start time because that game is on CBS Sports Network. And so Bucks have an opportunity to get back to 500. And 9-5 and five, ETSU started the year with uh, Karan Boyd. And since his return, Six and one and five without him. Yeah, so you know uh, he's been a difference maker. He's been fun to watch, and we caught up with him in the post game show last night. And so uh, we thought we would. A lot of folks uh, leave the game; they're able to hear the post game show. Some aren't. So me and Bruce caught up with what was our player of the game, Karan Boyd. All right, Karan Boyd. Uh, you know, may or may not be our player of the game here in just a second. Uh, I think he will be, but Bruce sometimes surprises me, and if so, you can blame him. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to talk about free throws because it looked like today. I don't know if you worked to slow down or something, but man, you looked at much more rhythm. Eight for ten, just your third double-figure game. What was going for you at the free throw line today? Uh, just staying on my head, just shooting the shot, not worry about how how my mechanics is or if you're going to go in and just shoot it because I know my confidence. It's really just a mindset game when you get to the free throw line. Eight, eight rebounds, five offensive. What is it about the offensive rebounding for you? Because obviously you take pride in your defense and everything else, but it seems like that's a very enjoyable thing uh, for you when, when you get a board and kick it out or score it. I just feel like they leave me open. Everybody stood at the ball, and I got a good feel for where the ball comes up because I'm in practice every day, and I see how they shoot. So when if they shoot in front of the wing, I know exactly where it's going to uh, bounce off at. So I just get to the right place. Let's flip it over to the defensive side now. In order to hold them to 50, you have to take away the paint. So you do that. How do you close the gaps and still recover to their outstanding shooters on the perimeter? Um, it's really just uh, trusting your teammates because if you're late, your teammates going to be there to either stunt or take your man and you can switch back. Who communicates that? Everybody. You all got to be woke on the floor. If one person is not talking, it kills the whole defense. So you had to sit and watch the, the first matchup versus Wofford. 
what did you take from that game? What did you learn from that game? Or to, to or what do you like when you're not in the game? How do you watch a game? Because I know that's one. It's frustrating because I think as a player you'd have to be just chomping at the bits that you want to be out there and you can't. You watch a tough defeat. Now you get your shot at him. What did you take from the first game that maybe you were able to use this game? Uh, I just saw a lot of their weak spots. I know they really don't like physicality. And a big thing was applying more ball pressure, like, up on the ball because they would just be in there to throw it and dime whoever. So getting up in the ball while they try to run their uh, actions really disrupted their whole offense. I think that was one thing, too, and that you could tell it's the, the shooter struggled because this is a very good three-point shooting team. Just went six for 22. Sybil's only got two shots off from beyond the arc. Bailey, two of six, and Tripp definitely had a tough day. One of seven shooting. You kind of mix and match on all those guys. But just talk about when you guys went into scramble drill, how you were able to close out and not give those guys, or at least make them uncomfortable if they didn't get a shot off. Yeah, um, so we practice this a lot in uh, practice, so we know what to do and how to execute it. And then it's really about knowing your personnel, who can shoot it and who can't. So just getting out there, closing out, or short close out for those who not the best capability of shooting threes. You've now, as a team, won three in a row. You got a chance to pick up another win, home national television. What does this win streak do? How does that do for the guys, and how can you keep the momentum going? Um, just get back in practice, execute every day, just do exactly what we're supposed to do. Karan, you're hitting the February grind. You, you missed several games. How do you feel physically after having played almost 35 minutes tonight? Physically, I feel great. I could play another 35, but I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> you could. Sandoz and I going home. <laughs> I'm already tired. I think I pulled a muscle halfway through the game. So, Or fat. I don't have muscle. It's all right. Karan, appreciate it, buddy. Congratulations on the win, my man. Thank you. All that really good stuff listening to Karan Boyd there. And then um, we talked about it during the broadcast, and I, I teased it a little bit at the beginning of the program, but Tim Smith was sitting behind me most of the game, getting mobbed by fans when he wasn't sitting behind me. And how do you not ask the all-time leading scorer to sit down and have a conversation with post game so i talked to tim smith uh, a little bit about the team and i thought bruce asked him an interesting question of what he would tell the etsu guards but here's our post game uh, catch up if you will with the all-time leading scorer in etsu basketball history tim smith uh wins 57 50 i'm gonna hold off on bruce's final thoughts because uh we mentioned it he's at the ball game on we love to talk to buccaneer greats about the all-time leading scorer His jersey hanging up there in the rafters tim smith in the house tim uh first of all good to have you what brings you in town I just wanted to come in town, man, and um, meet some people, you know, because I'm trying to put something together, you know, for the summer. You're always a mover and a shaker, man. Yeah, so, so. I'm trying to put something together for Johnson City in the summer. So, Well, uh, you obviously you sit down. I'm sure you still have the itch. You still enjoy the, the fans as they were mobbing you just trying to come and sit down. But just talk about, because you've been in those games before. You've been in games where obviously you've thrown 40 on the board. Mm -hmm. You've been in those games where you, you've struggled and you've had to gut out a 57-50 win. Just talk about what it's like to gut one of those out when maybe the shots aren't going down. Yeah, because offense is always, you know, you never know what you're going to get on the offensive side, but the effort on the defensive side can never be questionable. And, you know, and tonight you couldn't question the, the effort on at least the defensive side. So, And that's what happened, you know. So they, they played defense, and that's what, you know, helped them get the seven-point win. I think when I talked to D'Amico Childress a lot, uh, who's a guy that would kind of phasing out as you were coming in and yeah. kind of setting the table for you guys, that's the one thing, you know, former Southern Conference Player of the Year, you yourself a Southern Conference Player of the Year, I hear you guys talk about it. I heard Courtney Pegram talk about a lot that, that, you know, hey, we score a lot, but people don't give us credit for what we did on the defensive end and Absolutely. what we were able to do, and that's what made us 
great players. Uh, yeah, sure, we scored, but those guys and you, especially with all the steals and everything, you know, I don't have to really sell people on you. There's some YouTube videos out there that can yeah. easily watch the Tim Smith <laughs> highlight steal reel. But just talk about sort of the pride, and that's where great players maybe separate themselves. It is on that defensive end, and the offense is just uh, an extra bonus. Yeah, absolutely, because, again, like, you know, you're not going to always have a great offense tonight, but you can never not have a good defense tonight or at least effort on that side of the ball. But, like, with me, you know, you had Zach Key and you had Gerald, man. So, like, our defense, like, we was top 10 in blocks and steals, you know, the, when we was there, you know, my sophomore year and they senior year. So, like, we was, like, like the only team in Division One to to be, to have that, you know. So, they definitely, we definitely pride ourselves on that side of the ball, and um, and we had some athletes that can block shots and rebound as well. Tim, if I'm an ETSU backcourt player, I'm following you all the way to your car and listening to every word you can tell me. Uh-huh. What would what advice would you give to our team, especially our backcourt, after having watched us for 40 minutes? Um. Just have confidence, you know, so like, and, and don't worry about making mistakes. If you're worried about making mistakes, you're going to have a lot of mistakes. So when you have your mistakes, just play the next possession, you know. Don't worry about the last possession because if you do, then you're going to mess up the rest of the game or, you know, the, the future of the game. And um, and that's the problem. So I think they just, they probably got down a little bit or was thinking too much. And when you do that, it's going to mess with you doing – it's going to mess the flow up, you know, especially with, within yourself. So I think that they was probably thinking too much, and that's what happened. We'll talk about a, a couple of things here real quick with Tim Smith, and then we'll, we'll put the wraps uh, on ourselves courtside. Uh, one, you got to call Ben Roden and give him a hard time you were here, and Ben's not here, Absolutely. so you got to get all over him. No, he's number two, traveling. The, I know. He's got real jobs. You know? yeah, not like us. I told him, hey, hire me, man, because I want to travel. <laughs> I miss traveling. <laughs> but the other thing I was going to say is we heard Coach Savage, and you didn't get to hear him while he was sitting there, he talked about the love of the program, and you know, Lauren Riddick was here the other day talking. I don't even know Lauren, but those guys came and kind of you know helped bring the culture along and go. And now we see you've come back and do the culture. Miko's here courtside. We've seen Courtney Pegram come in the summer, and those guys that have won and done stuff, and Mike Smith that have that come back and try to go. What what pride is it that you know there were guys that set the table before you? You were able to carry the torch, and then still eat tissue basketball is a known commodity and feared around. Uh, the southeast of mid-major basketball. Yeah, um, that was one thing about Coach Savage when he took when he got the job. He did actually reach out to me and um and was like, "Yo, come, we need you to come back." You know, and he wanted this, and so he he helped he helped you know did that. So and he wanted us to be around much as we can and and to help build the program back up and give these kids um these young kids um adults or whatever um advice and stuff like that and try to help them out. So I, I think that's what I'm going to try to start doing as well, you know, is get back as much as I can and to help out and try to build it back to where it, it has been, you know. So and, and it's, it, it's, it's a process, but I think right now it's, in, it's headed in the right direction from what I'm saying. And I like how he – I like his style. So I think it's going right. That was Tim Smith after the game talking to myself and Bruce Trambarger. ETSU Saturday men's basketball will take on the Furman Paladins who – Boy, they've been kind of up and down. Thought maybe when it got healthy that they had turned a corner, beat Sanford, all of a sudden thinking, okay, this is the Furman preseason favorite that we thought we were going to get. And then Wofford beat them by 10. I know that's a rivalry game, and it was in the Jerry Richardson Indoor Stadium and all that. But just 
honestly a little shocked with a, a couple of losses. And then Mercer, I can't figure out. They go on the road and beat UNCG after, you know, giving up an 18-point lead against the Citadel. Then honestly looked disinterested against ETSU. The Bucks played great. But Jalen McCreary just did not look like himself. And some of it was, yes, I think he was frustrated by how the Bucks guarded him, but he only played 19 minutes, took like six shots. I mean, just, I don't know, something looked off, and I thought maybe, ooh, this is a bad sign for Greg Gary, who I love, at Mercer. And he goes back-to-back wins, um, including this Fermilor win. Now, one of them, I know you're thinking, oh, okay, they knocked off DMI, but then they're an eye-opener. So three of the last four, they won, including knocking off, UNCG on the road and a nine-point victory over Furman. McCreary goes for 28. He went for 30, I think, against VMI. 28 in the win over the Furman Paladins. And Furman shot 50% from the field. They converted 13 or 11 of 13 from the free throw lines. Some of the stats you would think would lead you to believe that, you know, hey, Furman had a, had a pretty good look at this. But they struggled from three, and I think maybe that was the difference. Um, six of 22 were the Paladins from beyond the arc, and then for the Mercer Bears, they didn't take many threes, just two of nine, 10 of 15 from the line, um, 64, shot 33 of 64, and the rebounds were exact same, 26 boards. Now, Mercer had uh, a few more offensive boards. They had 11 second-chance points compared to Furman's two, and that, that's a nine-point difference right there. You could look at that. And it points off turnovers also, Mercer, 14-8. to eight. Uncharacteristic, I think, of Furman, 14 turnovers. I mean, J.P. Pegues had four, and I had five assists, but he had four. Carter Witt had three, so they combined for seven assists and seven turnovers out of their kind of de facto point guards um, that they have. But, I mean, good ball pressure. T.J. Grant with three steals. Jalen Cobb with that big knee brace picked up three steals. So I would give Mercer credit. Three last four, and their only loss, ETSU held them to 49 points. So the league's a little bit um, volatile now in, in the middle of the pack. It is, it is, I don't know what's a good word, a gaggle? Is, is there's a host of teams. So you look at Sanford still 9-1, and one, UNCG 8-2, and two, Chattanooga 7-3, and three, and then you've got, you know, five teams kind of battling right now. Western Carolina, who's lost – Three of four, four of five, something like that. They are six and five overall. Wofford six and five. Furman six and five. ETSU's five and six. So the Bucks, with a win against Furman, could pull to five hundred. Wofford would obviously drop to five hundred. Now there's a couple of games going on tonight as I record this podcast on Thursday. We're going to talk women's hoops in just a second. But Chattanooga's a BMI. Sanford and UNCG again. That's the top. I don't really. You know, that, I don't know how much that matters to the middle teams. Maybe if Chat lost again, um, but then they would have to lose at BMI and then UNCG Sanford. For UNCG, it's just are they going to be able to try to get back in it for the regular season championship. Then on Saturday, everybody plays. So Sanford's at BMI. You don't expect a lot there. I think Chattanooga UNCG is going to be a great one. I mean, UNCG has got to play the, the other two top teams in the top three, you know, obviously besides themselves. Chattanooga Sanford. Then Mercer Western, I think, is a big one because can Mercer keep it rolling? Is Western still struggling? And then Citadel Wofford. So Wofford's got a chance to get right there at home, although the Citadel still gets beat by fifth, and then ETSU and Furman. We're going to take a look at the Valentine's Day contest coming up uh, on Monday or Tuesday when we're able to record the podcast. So 
interesting to see how the standings go. The Bucks have just clawed their way right back into it. Another win would be huge uh, for their case, you know, to, to really get uh, in the conversation of maybe climbing as high as a four seed still and finishing fourth in the league. So, you know, Karan Boyd's a difference maker. We'll see Furman and ETSU kind of a, a back-and-forth game. There was no Karan Boyd for ETSU. There was also no Marcus Foster in that one. And that game will be 6 o'clock, 5.30, pregame show. This, this game also, again, on CBS Sports. We're going to transition now. We'll try to talk to a little Keith break here and talk about ETSU women's basketball. A couple games they got on the road, starting with the Knights game against the Mercer Bears. Transition to women's basketball. That means we're going to bring Keith. Yes, he's still part of the show. I didn't officially fire him. and just went with a Jay and Trey, or Dre. I try to call us Dre uh, in between Jay and Trey, which um, didn't work. But I tried it. That's okay. Uh, Keith Brake uh, down in lovely, spacious, and it is spacious. Macon, I don't know if it's lovely, but it's uh, Macon, Georgia. Keith, uh, obviously last night you paid attention to ETSU men. Uh, big win, but also the Mercer men with a big win to set up that contest for the Furman Paladins. Now ETSU women will go into Hawkins Arena and try to pick up a big win where Summer Evans is coming off one of her best games of her career, I think a 35-point effort. Yeah, 35 against Sanford, and, I mean, you really can't make it up just how utterly chaotic this league can be. Mercer's been really good on the glass, um, and they're a team that by rights probably should have one or two more wins this season than they do uh, and Susie Gardner is a terrific head coach um, but this team has needed a little while to kind of figure some things out I think and uh, they're, they're starting to turn a corner um, this is a, this is a challenging time it's, there's never a good time to come to Macon uh, but this is a challenging time to come to Macon because this is a team that finally is starting to feel like it, it's got its sea legs under it and in the second half of the SOCON schedule, they want to make a push. Um, they're kind of in, they're in a similar situation to ATSU. I mean, there's only one game separating these two teams in the standings. So uh, this has got to be a, a big one for the Bucks, uh, And they got to bring their A game, not, not just against some Evans, but against all these guards. Um, there's a ton of talent in this backcourt for Mercer that's going to create havoc if ETSU allows them to. I think having Kendall Foley and Jalen Cotton back to bring the ball up is going to help the Bucks out a lot. Of course, they're a little thinner in the front court than they were against the Bears uh, the first time around and a little thinner overall, probably in terms of just general health, but the key pieces are there for ETSU I think to, to get this done if they play most of what, if they do most of what they did against Mercer back at, at the beginning of January. I think they got a really good shot at this one. Well, and this was the game, I think, where Ja'Kai Davis got hurt. This was a physical ball game. Yes. The first time these two teams met. Now, I was having to watch while doing the Furman basketball games. They were playing at the exact same time. But that was a physical game. What do you suspect maybe ETSU will try to do the second go-around against the spare squad? I think the biggest thing that they're going to try to do is protect the basketball. Courtney Moore brought the ball up the floor against the Bears, and she turned it over seven times. And, and you know, she was – it's not – necessarily her fault it's just she was put in a position to do something that she hasn't done very much the last couple of years and she got ate up by a team that was willing to attack the basketball on defense with Brianna Piguero 
uh, on the perimeter who is an absolute handful. Deja Williams is pretty good outside guard as well, uh, and those two can rack up steals pretty fast. Uh, Williams averages a steal and a half a game and will probably hunt more than just one or two uh, here tonight. Um, so th- that, that's the biggest thing is don't show Mercer more of the basketball than you have to to run your offense. Uh, that would be the first thing I would I would tell some I would tell ATSU to do, and that's the first thing I think Brendan Mock Brown will talk about them doing. And, and the other thing is um, I don't know how much you can really slow this team down when you have a player that can pull up and transition the way that some Evans can, and they are obviously as evidenced by her 35 against the Bulldogs last week. They're looking for her. She is their go-to. She is their number one option. They want to get her the ball. They want her to score big. Um, and she can deliver for them in transition. Pagero can get downhill and attack the rim and is very good at it. It's a challenging team to just stop the ball against and slow them down to get this to a number of possessions where ETSU feels comfortable. But last time around, the Bucks just kind of leaned into it because Mercer wasn't doing that much on defense. So they were able to get plenty of open shots themselves, and it's the I believe it's the only game this season for ETSU where both teams have scored in the 70s. So that's a, a, a unique moment in time. I don't know how repeatable that is, but it, it's certainly something to keep an eye on is that, that Mercer's going to try to speed this up. They're going to try to score quick points. They're going to take a lot of shots. Some of them are even going to go in. And defensively, you know, they're, they're willing to sacrifice – in an effort to get that sort of sudden change of a steal and a run out to get the fast break points that can help them keep momentum going and keep the game high energy. And then you get the other team off balance, and it's like the John Mulaney bit. Now I've thrown them off their rhythm. That's when teams spiral against Mercer, and ETSU has to avoid that tonight. Well, the one thing, you know, they play such a physical game, they're not afraid to give up free throws. I mean, ETSU, the first go around, took, I don't know, almost three three times as many free throws, or at least doubles, 23 to 20, 11, so double. And then even the last game with Sanford, Sanford 20 attempts to Mercer 8. I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of Mercer is going to take a lot of long shots, really don't get the basketball inside, or don't get it inside as much as I think they have in years past. They're not getting in the free throw line, but on the other end, they're not afraid to play physical, take chances, and send folks to the free throw line to earn it. Yeah, 35% three-point shooting team. Um, and, and they've got – they don't really need to go inside in the conventional sense where, okay, you post, you get a one six three kid that's really strong and you just post them up because they've got length all over the floor. Mackenzie Johnson, six one. Stacy Jones is six one. Some Evans, six foot. They can go to Ariana Dyson off the bench, six one. Maria Saracanta, six foot. Uh, there's a lot of, and then Ashley Locke is kind of the six three sort of traditional post player. Uh, they don't. They they can do things a little bit differently than maybe other teams in the SoCon do because they have a length all over the floor, uh, and that creates some challenges. I am curious about the free throw situation since you bring that up. I feel like that's not necessarily something that you can rely on, something that travels a lot. Uh, but it's also an indicator of a team not playing very good defense. I mean, that, that, that really, that's the, the long short. I mean, Murray, Murray Bartow would hammer. It's like when, when we were giving up those fouls, we weren't fouling because, you know, because the whistles were bad. We were fouling because we weren't playing good defense. And that's another indicator to me that Mercer is struggling defensively. When you're giving up that many more free throws than your opponent, 
it's because you're out of position, you're getting there late, and you're you're just not or you're not guarding straight up. You're not doing the basic things that you need to do to execute on the defensive end. That I think is ETSU's opening. And if they can slow this game down, if they can stop the ball in transition for Mercer coming up the floor where Evans can't get that trailer jumper at the top of the key or the elbow, um, where Figueroa can't just get straight downhill, the straight line drives at the rim. I think ETSU has a chance to win this game and can win it by double digits, uh, but it's not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination because Mercer's done that to everybody else in the conference this year. Well, and, you know, we, we talked about this, I guess, on Tuesday, but you look at the home records uh, for a lot of teams, and you know, Mercer 6-3, and three, other than Western Carolina, who has 10 home losses, everybody else two or less. So there is an opportunity maybe – uh, to get one at Mercer just because you look at Sanford, they're 9-2. and two. Now, Sanford's going to play Chattanooga, and maybe they get the three home losses. But it, this is unlike many other years we've talked about. The league is maybe turning a corner a little bit in women's basketball. It's become tougher, and part of it tells me if it's become tougher is how teams play at home. And so life on the road for ETSU, uh, certainly with an opportunity because they can't give up any more ground, right? We think the regular season, it, it, and even Coach Mock kind of said that the other day, probably not attainable at this point, but how do you position yourself for the rest of the tournament? Because I think a lot of people, if they're going to play Chattanooga, would like to see them in the championship game as opposed to the semifinal. I agree. Uh, I, I think we would very much like to see Chattanooga in the, in the uh, championship game, which means you need to be either the two or the three. Uh, I think ETSU is in a good position for that. Um, and you, you've got to fight right now. That's right now, right? But also, there are three teams that are a game back of the Bucks halfway through. This is kind of the inverse of the men's situation, right, where ETSU, they get that win over Wofford. Furman loses to Mercer in Macon last night. And now ETSU is a game out of fourth in the SoCon standings. Well, Mercer is a game out of third in women's basketball, and they're sitting down in sixth. So, I mean, there, there is not a lot of separation right now. That's why that Wofford game was so pivotal, and that's why this road trip comes at such a, I would almost say it comes at an inopportune time for ETSU to have to go on the road, play two teams that have been pretty good at home, uh, two teams that you got the better of at your place, that you're going to be pressed to do the same right now because you are very much under the gun if you finish fourth it's not going to – you're going to get Chattanooga in the semifinals, and that assumes that you get through the quarterfinals. You have a much better chance as the two seed in particular because you're going to get Furman, and I think we all kind of agree Furman is probably a half step below the rest of the – so that middle of the pack of the SoCon, but they're still better than Western Carolina. Uh, that team is still a team – I would rather play them in the, in the first round and just get to the semifinals uh, rather than have to worry about, hey, we're playing a team that we split with, we're playing a team that was tough on the road and could be tough on a neutral floor. Uh, you, you want to avoid that. And that starts now, and you'd really like to start that turnaround stretch at home, I think, but maybe getting the Bucks out of their comfort zone will be good for them going on the road for the longest road trip of the year by mileage. What's the health situation for ETSU? And I, I know you haven't quite gone over there for shoot-around yet, but what's it looking like? Because it's still a little bit of the walking wounded. Yeah, Kendall Foley's on a pitch count. Um, I, I talked to to, um, I talked to Paige, the athletic trainer, 
the other day, and she just kind of jokingly said, I have one player that's 100%. Um, <laughs> and, and then one, one or two that are like 90%. Um, so, I mean, at this point of the year, 90% is basically 100%. You only got seven, eight games left. Um, but, yeah, uh, Kendall Foley's still in the pitch count. Um, and it's just still recovering from uh, – it was, it was a high ankle. So when she's not strapped up with the brace on her left leg to go, and you've probably seen it, it looks really uncomfortable uh, trying to fit that thing down into a basketball shoe. Uh, when she's not in that, she's in a walking boot. So uh, that, that's precautionary just to try to keep things from, from getting worse. Um, I mean, Courtney Moore is always a little bit banged up, but she's you know tough as nails. She plays right through it. Uh, ETSU, otherwise, it, I mean, Ja'Kaya Davis' status is kind of – up in the air. We're certainly hopeful that she can return at some point, but it uh, doesn't look like that's going to be uh, today. Uh, she did travel with the team, but w- we won't have any clarity on that, I, I don't think, for a little while yet. Um, otherwise, I mean, Nevae Brown's going to play. Bree Beatty, her shoulder is still bothering her a little bit, but again, she's she's tough, and also she's got Seven to ten games left in her college basketball career. She's gonna, she's gonna try to, to play through um, whatever pain she might have. The, the injury, I don't think, was as serious as it was feared initially when we saw her doubled over and her, you know, her arm was kind of limp and uh, she had to come up. She she was actually trying to get Mata Checker back into the game at the end of the Wofford game because she said she was fine. So. <laughs> Um, I think that tells you where, where she's going to be. She's, she's likely going to play quite a bit uh, tonight. But, hey, that's, you know, if she doesn't, that opens up opportunity for Journey McDaniel. It opens up opportunity for Brecken Snotherly, two players that I think have been hungry for their opportunities. And uh, Brecken in particular just outworking everybody and, and playing 1,000 miles an hour right now. Um, Journey is a player that we want to see get the ball a little bit more. And defensively is maybe not the most complete player for the position, but she can shoot it. And right now, ETSU is looking for people that can make some shots. Uh, and, and that's going to help the Bucks out a lot, I think. If, if McDaniel can get a couple of clean looks, knock down a couple threes, get a little bit of momentum going, even if it's just part of a larger run, for ETSU, McDaniel can provide a spark. Uh, ideally, though, Bree Beatty's going to be the one that does that, uh, and, and McDaniel can supplement that off the bench. It's a lot of wait and see. It's a lot of game time decisions and a lot of players who are going to be limited. Um, but ultimately, this is the nature of the beast in college basketball. Teams deal with injuries. Teams have Teams cultivate depth for the specific instance of what happens when your depth is tested, can you absorb it? And ETSU is going to find out tonight how many injuries they can absorb before they reach a crisis point. And I don't think we're there just yet. ETSU tonight, 6.30 pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network on 6.40 WXSM. Keep break on the call, 7 p.m. tip. And then Saturday, Keith Bucks will make the short, uh, it's not that long of a trip, a couple hours over to Birmingham and ETSU Sanford on Saturday. Yeah, I brought three bags of comic books because I took a bag with me to Chattanooga on the bus, and it was not nearly enough. I was done before we hit the interchange to get off of I-40 to go south. So uh, I just sat there twiddling my thumbs for like an hour, and I hated that. So I decided, I made the decision, I was going to bring everything that was in my backlog 
and I've kind of organized it here this morning so that I know how to read what I have left and what sequence I want to go through it all for the bus ride tonight to Birmingham and then for the ride home on Saturday afternoon. But uh, should be a, a fun trip, and it's the longest one of the year, so a chance to uh, to really just lock in on uh, things we've been trying to get done, things that we've been trying to get done, I've been trying to get done at home, things I've been trying to get done at work, chance to just tune it all out and, and do the thing and grind for three solid days. All right, comic book Keith on the call this weekend, starting with tonight's game at 7 and uh, what is that, at 2, 2 p.m. Eastern on Saturday? I believe it is at 2 p.m. Eastern, yes. That's what I believe because uh, we able to do it, so he teaches men's basketball uh, Saturday night at Yeah, the old, the old home away doubleheader. Got to love it. Uh, the, the twilight quite split almost. I feel like I made it with baseball doubleheader. But. Yeah, thank, 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 thank goodness that the SOCON does not do mirrored scheduling because, woof, woof. <laughs> that yeah, would be, it'd be a lot for all of us. Yeah, we would have like zero women's basketball games on the radio, so we at least able to get a couple of women's games on tonight. Keith, have a good time in Macon, and uh, we'll see you back in the studio here uh, after the weekend. I'm here for a good time, not a long time, Jay. Thanks, appreciate it. All right, see you, buddy. All right, that's uh, Keith Break there. We put the wraps on... This podcast, a little bit different just because Keith's on the road. Haven't had to do one of these in a while, but appreciate Trey Lamb stopping by. Hope you enjoy the conversation we had with Karan Boyd after the game. Also hope you enjoy uh, the Tim Smith chat as he's always been one of my favorite guys to talk to. And, of course, we got a couple of broadcasts coming up, three to be exact. Tonight it is 7 o'clock ETSU Mercer. We record this on Thursday, so for this on Friday, the game's already happened. But guess what? For this on Friday, there is a double dip, 2 p.m., ETSU Women, Sanford, 1.30 pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Then Saturday night, 5.30 pregame show, 6 o'clock, the Furman Paladins and the ETSU Buccaneers on the men's side of things. And we'll be back with you after the weekend, not just to break down those games, but we'll do a full run of the Southern Conference standings on Jay and Keith on the Buccaneers Network. <laughs>